welcome to our podcast. We are beloved daughters of Christ, and this is At The Well. Welcome back, everyone. This is Alex speaking. Happy to be talking with you again and also happy that Erica, Rachel, and I are actually in person. This is awesome and such a blessing. Uh, But today is really special because we are celebrating the feast of the Assumption of Mary into heaven. Um, And so what we're going to talk about is why is this important? Why Is the assumption important? Why do we need to believe it? Um, And how is it related to our lives? Uh, So before we get into discussing this together, we're going to have Erica lead us in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, help us who continue to live our lives on earth in a spirit of searching and restlessness, Help us to see that our true endpoint is you and that we will continue to be frustrated if we seek to find our happiness in anything but you. And help us, especially on this feast day, to look to Mary as one who was lifted up bodily towards you to be our example of those who need to follow both you and her and achieve the true peace and integrity of being that we can find when we are united to you in heaven. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And welcome back. Like Alex said, a very happy solemnity of the Assumption to all of you. We are very excited to introduce this episode as one of four episodes where we will be discussing for Marian dogmas. And we thought it was a perfect time to launch this since this next episode is falling for us on the Feast of the Assumption, which is one of the dogmas. So I'm just going to briefly define for those of you who don't know what a dogma is in the Catholic Church. And then Rachel's going to walk us through what the four Marian dogmas are. So the Catholic Church teaches that a dogma is a truth that has been declared by the magisterium, which is the teaching authority of the church. And this is a truth that has been declared as binding on all of the faithful. And so the faithful are actually required to accept these teachings and dogmas that the church has declared as infallibly true. So they are without error, and they are necessary for all the faithful to believe and to believe the opposite of them uh, would be actually to believe something that's erroneous or heretical. So interestingly enough, the church has not identified many dogmas, only probably a handful of dogmas throughout history and has only done so when it became very necessary to clarify divisions in thought or maybe ideas and thought that were dividing the faithful of God. So at those moments, especially in history, the church found it very necessary to intervene and clarify, much like this dogma, which is actually a later dogma declared in 1950. Thank you, Erica. Over the next four episodes, we're going to be focused on the four Marian dogmas of the church. 
and starting with today's Feast of the Assumption, of course, we're starting with the Assumption. Um, we're going to be heading into Mary's divine motherhood as the mother of God, as well as her perpetual virginity. And lastly, but certainly not least, uh, her immaculate conception. And why are these important is as Catholics, as you know, a lot of times uh, apologetics does surround these four Marian dogmas and we just wanted to really uh, provide everyone listening as well as ourselves and the words that we need to know and the scripture as well as the teachings of the church that can help us to be able to describe this most immaculate creature that through her yes and her fiat we are now being saved. So hopefully that will give us a little bit more information as to how we can respond to anyone who has questions about Mother Mary. So one of the ways in which we decided to start off today's conversation is really kind of taking some time, a quick moment to, to describe what we might have thought of the Assumption earlier on in our journey in faith. And as a child, I used to always imagine this woman being taken up by a cloud and thinking to myself, <laughs> did anyone else see this? Did, not, did anyone else think this was strange? Because if we saw somebody going up in the cloud, we'd probably try to help her and pull her back down, right? But, you know, I imagined that this cloud taking Mary up into heaven, although it, it made sense, it's not that I doubted that it happened, it also seemed almost like a fairy tale to me. And as I grew up later on, I started to think, well, maybe it's just kind of symbolism. Maybe it was just, you know, a parable almost, you know, just to help us understand how we go to heaven, but it didn't really happen. And then, of course, it was through faith and later uh, learning about the relationship between the mother and the son to really understand that it only makes sense that they would be united in heaven and it only makes sense that she would be taken up uh, body and soul um, as the perfect creature of God um, being our example it only made sense to me that she would also be the example of what it is to lead a life filled with grace and to be taken up into heaven to meet Jesus and the first person to be doing that after he himself had ascended into heaven. Alex, what did you think? Yo, girl, Rachel, I totally hear you on the symbolism portion of when I've done that so much in life as a Catholic, when I've been confused about something and didn't put the work in of trying to find the truth. I just was like, oh, symbol. So <laughs> it's a symbol, uh, but it's not. So I think I, I definitely relate to that. I heard it and, you know, my grandma is so um, adamant about teaching me, especially her being uh, the president of the Legion of Mary. I definitely learned all about Mary from a young age, but I don't think I really applied how real um, and truthful it was until I was older and actually trying to um, question things and not just create my own rules and my own symbolism um, in different ways. And so I think one of my problems was I just didn't understand how it could be related to my life or why it was important, but I guess I still believed in it. I just didn't understand it. So I think those are some of the issues um, I had about it. What do you think, Erica? Yeah, thanks, Alex. I loved hearing both of you two and your own struggle with it because it definitely helped me relate to the fact that in my process of making peace with 
different teachings of the church, I found that like a lot of teachings, this one was definitely a process for me. So at first I met this dogma with a lot of hesitation and doubt, but probably I did so because I was projecting onto it a lot of my other doubts about Mary and just the idea of, are we making too big of a deal about her? Isn't mm -hmm. she pretty much God at this point? So definitely when I heard, oh, she ascended straight to heaven bodily, I had doubts thinking, well, now we're reserving something for her that it sounds very much like the ascension of Jesus. And I can believe the ascension of Jesus because he's God. So he goes straight to heaven. But it sounded like a lot of uh, a lot to apply to a human creature. And I had my doubts. But over time, I did come to see, firstly, biblically, it was not unprecedented because Elijah and Enoch also ascended to heaven when they led a righteous life. So it was within the realm of God to, to elevate those who had lived a life united to him. And I also came to have a lot of trust in this dogma when I found that Mary played a role in my own devotional life as a great intercessor. And as I came to see her more and more as an intercessor, it became far easier for me to just accept logically that someone who was so united to Jesus throughout his whole life would obviously likewise be united to him even after her earthly life was done and would even share with him just like she shared in his sorrow. I knew that it became easier and easier to accept that she would share with him in his glory and in his body being taken up to God. So it definitely uh, took time and there was a lot of trust that I had to place in the magisterium and kind of help myself go back to that period, 1950s, and think to myself that if the church needed to declare it as a dogma, it's because it was a great truth that had to be brought into a time of much confusion. And there's probably still confusion about it today, right? Like divisiveness about this among other denominations or among Catholics. Thank you, Erica. I think that, that that's actually a really good understanding of where we would want to come to when we think about the assumption. And hopefully we'll continue to bring more thoughts forward um, as the podcast continues. But first, we just wanted to start off with the scripture passage from Revelations 12, 1. A great portent appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. So this is the one place in scripture where it has a reference to the assumption of Mary. And there are other parts of scripture that allow us to believe and have faith that this is what happened. But I just wanted to start off there to really kind of bring attention to this particular passage itself. Yeah, and, and thanks, Rach. And as you were just reading that, I thought to myself how through the lens of the church and through the guidance of how Catholics interpret this scripture, it definitely seems logical and helpful to be able to say, okay, the woman who's in heaven is Mary. And if not, perhaps those who have an objection to the scripture would have to think about what else it could mean and who else it applies to. So it is helpful. And uh, I think it leads us into also being able to describe some, some good apologetic arguments and theology and philosophy that have been made 
for the dogma of the assumption over time. So I was going to start out with just the idea in Bishop Fulton Sheen's book, World's First Love, which was incredibly helpful for me to describe the assumption in a fresh and interesting way and in a very poetic way, which I didn't think about earlier. So one of the concepts that the Archbishop builds on here is that he talks about how the assumption is a dogma first and foremost of great hope. And it gives hope to a disappointed world that seeks to just be frustrated by finding that all of its desires cannot be met. So to build on that a bit, I think he just is alluding to the fact that our lives are filled with many attempts to find happiness, whether that's power or money or sexual pleasure. And he also builds on how all of those, when they are taken to their fullest extent, just frustrate people because the, the fulfillment of one desire leads one to think that they need bigger and better things or they need more of that, more food, more sex, more money, more power. So it's almost as if in and of itself, it can't actually fulfill anything or lead to anything. It's just a desire that's doomed to be frustrated, especially since when we die, we can't take any of it with us. Mm -hmm. So just in light of all of the frustrations that the world faces and how despairing it can be to live life in this valley of tears, so to speak, with, with all of those sorrows that uh, plague us. The, the bishop also talks about how then the assumption represents the fact that Mary is really showing us where we will follow. And in the assumption, we can think to the fact that her body was so united to Christ's that love was actually reaching downward and compelling her to go up. So it's the love of her son that draws her up. And that actually speaks quite nicely to even something that I think modern love songs and modern poetry tries to capture when it talks about love as an out-of-body experience mm -hmm. or love as ecstatic. I think poets and songwriters are trying to say that love is something that takes us out of ourselves and elevates us to a new, higher, even supernatural plane and maybe lovers feel like this, right? When they're really uh, captured by each other, they just feel like they're being taken away and it's an out-of-body experience. It's so amazing. Certainly there's people who describe sexual pleasure like that, but the bishop is saying that there's something more amazing and more sensational than all of those by thinking that the assumption of Mary is a representation of how all love leads to God and how our bodies all find completion in God. So the love of her to her son was so strong that he actually compelled her at the end of her earthly life to be with him in body and in soul. And I think that's uh, a really important part that you mentioned there, Erica, is to make the distinction between Jesus's ascension and Mary's assumption and that Jesus Christ was risen, ascended into heaven, a sign of his divine power. Whereas Mary, on the contrary, was actually elevated mm -hmm. or assumed into heaven by the power and grace of God versus her own. It was not hers. 
it was, right. it was God lifting her up to him. And so that's a really important point to kind of make at this moment, just because I think for a lot of Catholics, there's a confusion because it does sound very similar in the beginning, Erica, you mentioned how it sounds very close to Jesus. Right. And I think that would be maybe the distinction between Jesus's ascension and Mary's assumption. So yeah, I always love that particular passage or chapter in Bishop Fulton Sheen's book as well. I think it's a great, beautiful way. And as you mentioned, a poetic way of describing Mother Mary being, you know, assumed into heaven and elevated into heaven in this wondrous rapture of love creates this levitation or gravity pull that just kind of brings everything to God and everything upward to him. Yeah, and I especially love the portion focusing on a sign and like the signs of all the good that we have here on this life, how they can orient us if, if we uh, focus on the Lord, how all good things, because God made things good, how these good things, things in ecstasy or, or even the simple things or nature, how they can direct us towards God and how Mary can then do that as well. And so the assumption for me, it's just that like, everything is a gift and Mary became this visible sign that one day we will be reunited body and soul into heaven when the Lord comes again. And so something I've really enjoyed is uh, Christopher West is amazing in teaching the theology of the body by St. Pope John Paul II. And one of the things that he focused on that I think is so beautiful is that the assumption shows that there is salvation for masculinity and femininity through this new Adam and Eve. And we pray even in the Salve Regina that we're poor banished children of Eve, yet we can find hope in our mother of mercy, our mother of hope, our mother of sweetness, the mother of our lives, that we can find this redemption of the new Eve through her, yes, Jesus came to save our lives. And loving her and appreciating these things that was by God, as Rachel, you were just saying, this was God's doing. But her freedom to say yes, and perfect as she is, then brought um, this visible sign. So how many visible signs do we have? The different sacraments we have, the, the visible symbols or signs for the invisible marriage, you know, being married, or our good friendships that lead us mm -hmm. to build each other up and our, our femininity, our, our friendships that can focus on the Lord and elevating one another to try and make each other saints, or just like, you know, things like coffee, like Erica surprised us with some iced coffee this morning, like that <laughs> is some bomb stuff, and that is a sign of God's love, y'all, like God just works through so many different ways, and all of these good things can be like a sign to orient us, right, and that that's like the point um, is that it's showing that God's plan, his original plan for us to be united with him. We, with our freedom, we chose sin and death, but with Jesus coming and dying for our sins, he took all of that on with Mary's yes, so that the new Adam and the new Eve could then reorient us and really show us that their bodies, like this can truly happen um, and will, God willing, when he comes back for all of us. And just like how through his death and Mary's fiat, that we can really see how the ascension and her assumption um, bring us closer. And so to thee do we cry for banished children of Eve, 
when we lack hope and all of these things that our perfect mother listens and how beautiful it is uh, for her to um, listen to us and bring us closer to him and we could just we could never love her more than jesus does and she has such a unique relationship with with god the father the son and the holy spirit and these dogmas are are really exciting me to just discuss with you both and how we can journey together but then with her it also just reminds me of the i love praying the memorare i never say it right memorare yeah memorare i feel like <laughs> i never it. say it right because i'm really bad at saying words y'all sometimes i only <laughs> speak english and i can't even speak it all the time but the memorare to thee do i come before thee i stand sinful and sorrowful a mother of the word incarnate um, despise not my petitions but in thy mercy hear and answer my prayers and how related it all is throughout scripture we can see these different sides of her or these different aspects of mary's nature how they're throughout scripture and how we can rely on them and pray to her and how important her role of perfect femininity is and how we can try to aspire to be like her that's beautiful alex i think bringing it back to genesis bringing it back to adam and eve connecting the old testament with the new testament again in understanding that Mother Mary is the new Eve. With her, there is hope. Um, there is the resurrection in Jesus Christ in the New Testament. We see how clearly linked uh, and connected and unified their relationship is. They're, they're one with each other, mother and son. So it would only make sense that uh, later on that God continues to use this perfect creature to ultimately describe to us what it is that he wants for us what it is that he wants us to achieve in the end as well with the resurrection. And of course, it would also make sense that being conceived immaculately without sin, Mother Mary is, is able to be assumed into heaven right as the course of her life here on earth. And it only makes sense that she could also go right to heaven with him mm -hmm. and to be at her son's side, to be seated next to him um, and basically helping him administer grace to all of us down here and the reason why we may not be able to achieve that direct resurrection that we need to wait is because of the original sin of adam and eve being that we need to be sanctified we need to be purified and we need to experience death on earth as god mentions in genesis when he speaks to adam and eve the result of your sin is that you will experience death our own sins that will not allow us say to ascend directly or to assume be assumed directly into heaven and so there is a time that we need to wait we need to wait for jesus to come back and and to bring us to the resurrection and that's when our our resurrection will occur our redemption of our bodies as well as our souls and you mentioned again um, signs she is the sign for us there's hope there is the resurrection in the end she is the one that's leading us to him always to pointing to her son which is why god used her to um, show us the way as well to her son and therefore to god because mm -hmm. if that you know it wouldn't make sense that once jesus ascended into heaven Mary was no longer needed. It would only make sense that he would use her fully to completion and, and to show his full plan to us and reveal that plan to us. Mm -hmm. Right. And as we were just talking, Rachel, I just thought about how that's such an amazing entry point to help us understand this dogma better, that it kind of makes sense 
more and more when we come to see the great unity of love between her and her son that she wishes to follow him but it's his great power that can actually pull her bodily after he ascends and sometimes as you were talking i thought of a little uh, a little reference that we may make which is kind of a shadow in comparison but we sometimes talk about spouses who are so interconnected and love each other so much on earth that when one dies at the funeral things like oh uh, she is awaiting the time when she can be joined to her husband in heaven. We say phrases like this and that emerges. So even though, even though we know that we don't have a need for earthly marriage anymore in heaven, it kind of is beautiful that reality that we speak of even at funerals in alluding to this fact that as greatly as spouses can love one another or any love can exist on earth, the love of Jesus and Mary is actually greater than that and, mm. and can take us to higher planes. So it does really reinforce for me just the idea that Fulton Sheen uh, was drawing forth. And the one line that, that I was going to quote from him is that the true meaning of love is that it leads to God. And one thing is certain, the assumption is easy to understand if one loves God deeply, but it is hard to understand if one does not love. So the more and more love and unity are understood as that which leads us to God, uh, the more and more I think intellectually the assumption could make sense over time. Yeah, and how we like need the sign here because on earth we need these signs because of how we are. But once we're there, God willing in heaven, we, we won't need the signs at all because it will be beyond our We have the reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, you mentioned, Erica, the marital spousal love and pulling one to the other. And I also think about the fact that not only was she connected with Jesus, she was connected with God, the creator who created her, and then the Holy Spirit, who was her spouse as well. Mm -hmm. So all three persons in the Holy Trinity are pulling her towards them. Um, and imagine the power of that. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's and totally, it's so beautiful to think about how her relationship with the Trinity captures three amazing relationships of love. If I could infer her as being daughter, preacher of God, uh, mother of the son, and then spouse of the Holy Spirit. That's true. Even if the spousal analogy breaks apart for us, then we can understand parental love and we can understand um, the love of a creature for creator and the greatness. Yeah, yeah. that's so cool. I know, it's mind blown <laughs> right now. Yeah. Mind blown. It's so helpful. Yeah. And I'll just draw, as we kind of close off, I'll draw our at the well connection, mm. uh, just to give, give a reference to the namesake <laughs> for our podcast. So I think the main point that comes to mind about how we can relate the assumption to the woman at the well is that just like all of us, who experience sin and sorrow, Mary, in her assumption, is a great model to the woman at the well because the woman at the well is one who was looking for love or maybe looking for desires that were just doomed to be frustrated through her life, through her sins, through her five husbands, as Jesus alludes to. But when she encounters Christ, she experiences how all those desires can find their fulfillment only in him. I think Mary perfectly captures the fact that both her body and her soul find their completion only in God. And just like the woman at the well, they're headed towards the same endpoint. 
It's just that Mary can be a great exemplary to her, just like she can be for all of us sinners who are in this valley of tears, just in the short term. Beautiful. And I think we always want to finish off with our God incidents of the week. I will start with my God incident of the week, uh, just to share. It was just this past week, my daughter's birthday, my youngest daughter, who's now 14. And I just wanted to share how beautiful it was that she, heading into this next stage in life, uh, was welcomed and greeted with so much love, uh, so much charity uh, by everyone around us in the sense of just really wanting to make the day really special for her. And we were having a family meal and at the end of it, she looked at me and she said, Mommy, how come on my birthday nobody says thank you to you? Because you're the one who gave me life. And I think birthdays should really be about the parents. And I was like, oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, where is my daughter? What did you do with her? Like, this is not something she would normally say. <laughs> but it was, it was such a beautiful moment. And, you know, I thought of telling her this, but I didn't. <laughs> she can hear it later. Listening? I'm joking. But, um. But no, it was actually a really sweet moment. And it also made me think about my own parents at the table with us and how, you know, generations upon generations, we have to be thankful to those that care for us, and especially our parents who have given to us when, when we were just unable to give to anyone at that mm -hmm. point. Um, they protected us, they guided us, they loved us to being who we are today. And so... I just wanted to thank them for being our earthly parents and of course mother mary for being our spiritual mother and god the father for always being with us and yeah it was just a really special moment but i told her not to worry about me and to enjoy her birthday but it was a very sweet moment <laughs> that is so beautiful and it's such an amazing lesson for her to learn early that her birthday is far more about her parents and her love of God the Father because they gave her life um, and as opposed to it being about her which is which is really helpful for us to learn I think through in amidst all the parties and the celebrations that birthdays can have which make it feel like it's about us too um, for me I think my God incident was simple but I was really reflecting for at least over the course of a week on the feast of Mary Magdalene so though her feast was July 22nd. Um, I was really gl glad that the memory of her stuck with me, particularly because I thought of how much of a, of a woman of hope and redemption she can be for my life. And um, for me, I actually was telling the other two ladies earlier that though the woman at the well doesn't have a feast day because she's unnamed and just a Samaritan woman, it would be interesting how we could ascribe her identity to the same identity as different biblical women we know who had a past and were redeemed. So one helpful imagery for me to think of her as being is that she could be very similar to Mary Magdalene in her past. And she could be an example of a woman in my life who just had a past, knew what sin was like, and knew the depravity that it led to, 
but then had a great encounter that convinced her that life was far more about the here and now and about finding completion in God. Mm. Yeah, I'm so about that. Thanks, Erica. And uh, Rachel, I feel like mine is kind of opposite from yours. Um, it's related to family. So mine, my God incident is actually a fight I had with Alan. <laughs> <laughs> and although I wasn't rejoicing in the fight or realizing that it was a God incident during this fight, um, but I realized it truly after. And it's just a God incident because it, it drew me closer to the Lord and helped me to reflect even more so on how I could be a wife similar to Mary for my earthly St. Joseph. And so, um, you know, once, of course, we resolved it. And so that was part of helping me realize that. But I think just the process of it, and then even through an argument or fight, how you can somehow even draw even closer in your relationship and how God is glorified through that. And so that was definitely a beautiful sign for me the past couple of days, and I'm so grateful uh, for all of this. So uh, we'll end it off with a prayer to our Mother Mary, as per usual, um, and I specifically ask um, that, that we may model our lives after our perfect mother and just try to strive and give our, whatever our fiat, whatever our yes is, may we give it. Um, in the same way that she did. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, death. amen. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, thank you all for listening once again. And please remember to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at podcast at the well. And if you want, you can also go directly to our website at www.thewell.ca. Thank you so much for listening. God bless. Bye.